Welcome back to The Electables. I'm Doug Thornell. I'm with my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod. How you hey, doing, Hey, hey. It's nice to be back in person. Yeah, we took it's been a, a while. Yeah, we... A cup. I was I was out of the country, and you've been running around, mm-hmm. and uh, we are finally back in the same place, and we've got a um, fantastic guest to kick us off. So much has been going on, by the way, in, in politics since our last episode, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. And um, but we've got a great uh, guest for you today, uh, Pat Riley, who is the founder uh, of Change Research, a very cutting edge and innovative. Uh, polling company uh, that was launched in uh, 2017. That's right. Uh, and Pat is a uh, longtime political and communications veteran, worked for Mayor Willie Brown, worked for the National Governors Association, uh, had a very successful PR company that she sold uh, in 2017, and now is really um, uh, putting out some very good research on a range of issues, Primarily what me and Adrian love to look at is what's going on in the primary. Um, mm-hmm. And we're just really happy to have you here. So welcome Thank to you. the Electables. Welcome. I'm really excited to be here. We're so happy to have you. Like the podcast. Uh, so, Pat, why don't you just tell us how you got started in mm. this uh, crazy game of politics yeah. and and then ultimately what led you to, to launch Change Research? Sure. Yeah, I was uh, working in Washington back in 1989 to 1995, <laughs> so a long time ago, and was a real sort of U-Haul story, right? So I went to BU, uh, intended on being a journalist, and then realized, nah, I'm really interested in influencing policy mm-hmm. and politics, and came down to DC and got a job at the National Governors Association and then the National Women's Political Caucus during the so-called Year of the Women in Politics, when Emily's List was a small organization that was trying to raise money for women and like, oh, how nice. People are interested in electing women. That's a nice idea. And to see that transformation has been stunning. And the year of the woman in politics back uh, for the National Women's Political Caucus was really about taking in all that information that would create stories about women in politics before there was something called the internet. And I'll tell you, it was... um, an extraordinary experience in being a 24-year-old who really saw with the Clarence Thomas and Nita Hill hearings um, what an impact you could have in um, really changing the face of our government. And it was really a transformative experience for me. And working through that cycle in 92 where we elected a record number of women, and then we lost most of them in 94. And um, I decided that I needed to leave D.C. after six years and came to California and um, got a job with this guy named Willie Brown, who was the only Democrat who was not unseated. He became he was able to negotiate becoming the speaker of the California House, despite the fact that the entire body went Republican, which was kind of extraordinary. Um, and then came to be his press secretary, which I would liken to visiting the most awesome city in the world and never leaving the boiler room <laughs> for nine months. Um, and, um, you know, they, there's a reason that Nancy Pelosi, Diane Feinstein, um, Barbara Boxer um, come from the Bay Area. It's, it's kind of like a perpetual primary. It's like closed room knife fighting, you know, mm-hmm. among Democrats. It's pretty intense politics. And um, doing that for a cycle, having worked in Washington, where I got to work with really the best and the brightest, 
and really helped advance causes that I deeply believed in. Um, and I loved working for Lily Brown, but I didn't come all the way to California to work in politics. I came to live. So I had a lot of fun, started my own business, worked with Silicon Valley companies and nonprofits and foundations. Really proud to say that in the 25 years that I was a consultant, I always worked uh, for companies I believed in. And never, my firm never really did, um, you know, national politics, but we always raised money for whoever the Democratic nominee was. So, for example, for Tech for Obama, we did a whole series of communications events around the company, uh, around the country to raise visibility for tech support for Obama. We did the same thing for Hillary. And, you know, I know everybody had a really sad election night party in 2016, but mine was probably the saddest. I had like custom champagne ready, you know, first woman president in the world. <laughs> I had a house full of people. We had this cutout of Hillary. Oh, you're breaking we my had, heart. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm no. not sure if it was as bad as Adrian. It's a Javits Center <laughs> on election night. Was, yeah. I, I'd, I'd say that was probably the worst, but definitely the worst one on the on the West Coast, right? Yeah. And, you <laughs> the know, saddest one. And we're West early, Coast. right? We're early. So yeah. we're all, you know, getting ready with the barbecue going. People are totally excited. You know, kids are all dressed up. The weather's you know. beautiful. It's a history yeah. Making moment, yeah. yeah. To, went to you know went to the polls with my sons. We have a video. It was Ugh. tragic. And meanwhile, my phone's going crazy, starting around five thirty, six o'clock, and I'm hosting a party. I'm thinking, what's going on? And people are saying like, WTF, WTF? What the hell's happening? Yeah. And uh, suffice to say, um, the next day. Um, and I can remember this, you know, <laughs> sleeping fitfully, racing to the phone, you know, whatever it was, 5.30 in the morning. And my kids met me there. And I picked up the phone and they looked up at me and said, did she win? I was like, no, she didn't. And I spent the whole time sort of trying to compose my face so my kids wouldn't run screaming from the room because, they're, you know, they could pick up on how frightened I was. <clears throat> And I would describe the next six weeks after that, like having a lot of like, you know, heart pounding conversations away from my sons because I didn't want them to see how concerned I was, frankly, about yeah. the direction of our country. Yeah. Well, so so on that note, you know, I think a lot of us, once we had time to reflect on the election night and the you know the, the shock of Donald Trump winning, although we could certainly argue the merits of that, but that's for another time. Um, but but. Did you sort of take a look at, did you do what a lot of us did and sort of take a look at polling, analytics, methodology, um, and and think to yourself, there's something that's not right here. You know, mm -hmm. there's, everybody was wrong, right? Our campaign, our numbers reflected the same numbers that many of the mm -hmm. media outlets' numbers reflected, that many, in fact, Trump's numbers, I mean, his analytics team, I think, was pretty much on par they thought that they were going to narrowly win, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of their numbers, they weren't sure. You know, a lot of their numbers mirrored what our numbers showed. Um, did you take a look then and think, okay, I want to try to do something to change the way that people, um, you know, help calculate where the race is and, and, and who's going to win polling? I think from my perspective, <clears throat> we I participated in a series of roundtable conversations with Silicon Valley executives and mm -hmm. political types to sort of think about what what ways could technology help uh, Democrats not fall behind. And um, my co-founder, Mike Greenfield, was participating in one of these sessions, and he was talking about the fact that he um, was conducting some polling experiments in some of those open house seats uh, that were open because of Trump appointees. And he was besting the public pollsters. 
And um, in the South Carolina, in Mulvaney's seat, the candidate who ran didn't barely lost, but didn't have any money to run a poll. Mm-hmm. That was what the the you know the output was the the news reports afterwards. And at that time, I was running a statewide campaign uh, to get a cost of living increase in the California state legislature. And I was about to drop thirty five thousand dollars on what would have been a crappy poll in California. And I said, you know what? This is really interesting. How much could you do a statewide poll for me for in California? I said I could do it for about three thousand dollars. I was like, right on. So we commissioned the poll. And with the $27,000 I did not spend on a poll, we leaned into earned media outreach in the 18, the 12 media markets that matter in California, and we won a $50 million increase for low-income after-school workers in California. Wow. And to be clear, in California, we have a pretty messed up system in terms of budgeting, and education gets online with everybody else. And suffice to say, we were up against pretty extraordinary, much, much better funded lobbyists and others that are trying to get their piece of the pie. But because we were able to take research and customize it and show every member of the California State Assembly and State Senate that a majority of Democrats, Republicans, and independents, men and women supported this cost of living increase. Mm -hmm. And because we had that data, we were able to work with the media to run these stories and have these students and educators go out and talk to the media with data that supported that this was important. We were able to shift that argument. And from my perspective, having spent my entire life working with women candidates who never have enough money. (laughs) No. Mm -mm. Uh, Candidates of color who never have enough money. And on behalf of education organizations and nonprofits who never have enough money, I thought this could really be a game changer. And we named the company Change Research. We got some seed funding, and we started rocking and rolling. And in 2018, we did nearly 600 races, including uh, a couple dozen statewide races, 62 U.S. House races, and hundreds of down-ballot races. And uh, we um, had a material impact on the election. And in 2020, we intend to have the same impact. Our focus is, as a public benefit corporation, we want to make sure that every Democrat running has enough insight they need to win. Um, And that when we win back the White House in 2020, Mm -hmm. the candidate and the nominee is going to never have the blind spot that um, Hillary Clinton is one of our investors. Mm-hmm. And when we talked to her about change research, she the phrase she used is, so often I felt like I was flying blind. Yeah. And there just isn't well, a reason. She was at the end. Yeah. There just isn't a reason to do that yeah. in, in 20, 2019 and 2020. Well, we did have a very, um, you know, we had a very robust analytics operation on our campaign that was spot on in almost every single primary race, every single state. But it just, we were just off on election night. You know, that was where everything, um, you know, kind of went, you know, to crap <laughs> for lack of, for lack of a better term. Um, so you guys just polled South Carolina. Um mm-hmm. Curious about your the results of that poll. That was about a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're seeing a, uh, you know, that state seems to be um, has remained relatively stable in terms of the at least the top three or four. Biden's still at the top, right? Mm-hmm. He's doing really well with African Americans, mm-hmm. but um, and then you've got now um, an emerging 
Warren in that state, along mm-hmm. with Sanders and Buttigieg. But I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I think you've done a good a, a good amount of polling in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in kind of your take on that. And, you know, there's a lot of interest. There's, there's obviously a lot of attention being paid on Iowa and New Hampshire. But once we get past that and get into states that are more diverse mm-hmm. as a as a pollster, what is your mm-hmm. sense of how this race is going to move? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that's most interesting about uh, some of these early primary states is we are seeing, and I think we saw uh, certainly in in the most recent uh, Virginia elections, really unprecedented enthusiasm, right? Unprecedented engagement um, across the board. Mm-hmm. And one of so so people are are, are completely um, following the race. They're interested. They're engaged. There hasn't been that drop off that you typically see. And one of the things that um, we've done at Change is we're constantly polling, particularly in some of those early primary states. So we've done, I think, five or six polls in South Carolina, pretty much monthly. We have a partnership with the Post and Courier, which is the most well-read paper there. And um, what we're seeing is a couple things. One, you know, you're right that that the the top of the field has remained relatively stable. But, you know, typically the Democratic Party story in South Carolina, it's all about the African-American vote. What we're seeing, however, is there's really South Carolina is changing. Um, so many of these southern states and Sunbelt states are changing. So there are white suburban women who live outside of Columbia, who are Democratic voters. So one of the things that we're looking at is the likely voter base for South Carolina is probably going to be more diverse than it has been previously, meaning it's not going to be it, – it's still probably going to be majority African-American, but there's definitely going to be more a, a different um, ultimate makeup of voters, which could have an influence on the outcome. Um, you know, we'll see Deval Patrick just entered the race. Uh, we'll see, you know, if that's going to, 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 you know, shift things a little bit. Um, you know, our approach on research is because we are not relying on landline phones um, and we're, we're able to do, we're, we're able to field a statewide poll in 48 hours or less. Mm-hmm. And, um, so so our stance is rather than making a prediction based on just one or, you know, one poll every three months is really thinking about what is that cumulative, right, mm-hmm. insight look like. So in terms of predictiveness and looking at, you know, ultimately what's going to happen in some of these early primary states, we're really looking at how is how are the folks who are showing up? How What is their potential preference? How is that how is that potentially going to? upset, um, you know, conventional wisdom on who's going to be competitive. Well, so can you talk, speaking of of what you just said, can you talk a little bit about your methodology? I mean, how are you able to do a poll for $4,000 that other pollsters charge $25,000 for? Like, and because you guys have had it, you have a very remarkable track record of being accurate in a lot of Mm -hmm. these races, but I know your methodology is different. Um, you know, you're combining um, online with calls, I think. Or just just talk sure, a little sure. bit about your methodology. Yeah. How does it work? Yeah. So I think what makes Change Research unique is that we are a team comprised of seasoned political pollsters, data scientists, and engineers. And um, so when we 
apply um, strategic thinking on how to use research. It's really combining those three aspects. The first technology that we developed is called dynamic online sampling, a dynamic online sampling engine. And it doesn't involve phones at all, right? It doesn't involve telephone calls. It doesn't involve um, cell phone calls. So typically, the price that's associated, this, the price and the, the sort of lack of speed that's associated with traditional polling is based on, they have to go to a third-party vendor that's basically got, you know, a phone call house, and they're making tens of thousands, at this point, tens of thousands of calls to get a small fraction of people to pick up the phone. Instead, we do all our solicitations online, and here's how it works. You're sitting on Facebook, Instagram, whatever ad-supported um, uh, content you you hang out on, and you get a solicitation from us, and it could appear as a banner ad, it could appear as uh, in your feed, and it says, you know, make your voice heard in Charleston, make your voice heard in Des Moines, and you click on that solicitation, and you're in our survey instrument. The survey looks and feels just like any other survey you've ever taken online. And the way that our uh, dynamic online sampling engine works, it's, it's going out across that massive universe of people who are online, up to five, five hours a day, and getting just the right number of men and women, African Americans, Latinos, uh, Caucasians, and just the right number of people on the right zip codes to complete the survey. So what we've managed to do is very quickly tap into this gigantic universe of people who are online all the time who are really wanting to share their opinion on things. Mm -hmm. That's as opposed to you're sitting down to dinner and the phone keeps ringing, ringing if you have a phone, mm -hmm. right? And very few people actually still have a phone. Or you're getting a whole I actually bunch just of got phones. a landline. Did you? Yeah, I'm very really? proud of that. Yeah. Why? I, you know, because I was worried that I just felt like I needed it. <laughs> Just in the event that something look if there's an emergency well, like some fire, emergency thing. I, I still yeah. have one. That's because I refuse to get my son's a cell phone. The so the only it. other the reason, only reason the only other reason why is because I don't I live a little out there and so yes for he does the reception <laughs> I I my phone uh, sometimes the calls will drop right and mm -hmm. I just like having you know the right. landline to. Well, you're you're we're, I'm, I'm, we're a declining I'm, I know, community. I know, we're a I declining know, community. But you know, Doug, when you have a landline, all of a sudden random people call you. You've got all these telemarketers. I know. You know, I had that so, happen today. See? I had I got to call you at two o'clock in the morning. What, what about the do not call? I feel like Did, people sign <clears throat> sign up for that. It works for about you know two weeks, and then yeah, somehow I, people really, break back. I, I think that, that was going to be the cure you. for everything. Yeah, you think you click the box, and it's supposed to work for a long time, but it, it doesn't. doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how we do our work. And so so we're paying we're paying a fraction of the price to solicit people. And, how do and then we've added engineering and to the back of it. And how do you calculate an accurate sample? I mean, how, how do you yeah. – when you're working with people online, how do you – extract a sample that is reflective of the voting base. So we know we know who who we need in order to get a representative sample from each state. And then and so we're 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 knowing and using the same tools you might use if you were buying any kind of online ad space. So you have some general sense of the demographics. Mm -hmm. And then we're asking a series of screening questions in the survey instrument itself, um, which are, we're applying to the sample. And then um, our waiting, um, and then we fully automated the post, the waiting and the uh, post stratification. So how do you make the math work? And waiting is is 
we're doing a couple different things. One, we're constantly experimenting and constantly um, adjusting how how our weighting's going based on the tests that we're doing, the before and after tests that we're doing in elections, right? Um, rather than uh, relying on conventional wisdom. So part of our mission is to ensure that Democrats don't we, we need to have innovation, right? If you're not innovating right now, mm-hmm. if you're not like breaking glass and innovating, exactly. then what the hell right. are you thinking at right. this point? Right. And so our approach is let's constantly experiment and figure out how we can add a certain layer of predictiveness into um, the weighting that we're doing. So it's it most it, it most likely reflects who's likely to turn out. Mm-hmm. And we've done that. And with engineering, you're able to do that in an automated way, automated way rather than a one-off way which with each survey. So t- I'm, I'm looking at this really interesting survey you, you did with Crooked Media um, on Trump and Fox News. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? It's pretty – it's, de- it's a depressing outcome, I'll well, tell you that. Well, <laughs> you know, what's interesting about it, so Adrian and I went to see the movie, the Bombshell film, mm-hmm. which is the behind-the-scenes look at the- um, Highly recommend. Yeah, uh, yeah. with the, the Gretchen Carlson, uh, Megyn oh, Kelly, okay. uh, you know, raising all the harassment uh, issues against mm. uh, Ailes and others over there. So anyway, that caught my mind, I, or caught my eye. I'm just curious, what, what were the findings in that poll, and what was- Why'd you all decide to do it? Well, one of the things that we always include in almost all the surveys we do is media consumption. And you can't, in this environment today, uh, it is very clear that there is a stark and shocking difference between um, Republican uh, uh, voters who get the majority of their news from Fox News versus Republican voters who don't overly rely on Fox News. And if you're reading it, you can tell me what the difference is there, but it's it's a pretty um, remarkable difference. And And one of the things that we are wanting to do with our research always is think about how is it that we are going to take a survey and get some interesting insights on the horse race, mm-hmm. right? Because the horse race is, you know, it's interesting, but it's kind of a commodity, right? Mm-hmm. You can, I know you guys look at 538, you can see there's many places where you're going to get a bunch of snapshot polls. But how is it that we're really unpacking um, all the elements that actually go into um, uh, having Democrats win? And media consumption is definitely one of them. So, um, you know, the conclusion that you can come to when you look at those numbers is you have we, – we, we're in a tough spot as a democracy when a sizable percentage of voters are not movable, right? You know, Trump has his hard 40. Yep. And they're not going anywhere. And they have – they are mainlining uh, propaganda. Um, so uh, – and, and you have a, a Republican machine that is actively – um, you know, sowing uh, confusion and actively attacking any other source of information. So, you know, as I've always said, we don't have a lot of billionaires on the Democratic side, but I've tried to convince that, you know, if you want to really change and protect our democracy, from my perspective, have one of these billionaires buy up, you know, take all those, make those Sinclair broadcasting people an offer they can't refuse, right? And take back all those stations and find a way to, to have some of those local reporters 
um, you know, be on the beat. And one of the things that we've seen that was really heartbreaking to me as someone who spent my career who loves media, you go into some of these places that are red and they don't have a local paper anymore. Right. right? They don't have and, – and you talk about uh, living out there, right, and phone service. Man, in some places, they only get Fox, right? So they don't have an access to unbiased information. That's a huge problem. Right. Or, and, they, and, you know, look, they also don't seek it out. That's true. And, and that's it's harder th- to find now, I'd say. No, that's true. I mean, and that's, I think you could make the same point of um, folks on the left, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we – we go into our safe zones and corners. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. I mean, the, the numbers in this poll are pretty shot. 89% of Republicans who, Republicans who watch Fox simply just don't believe any of the facts about Ukraine. Uh, you poll the Republicans who aren't, you know, uh, regular Fox watchers, and that drops actually to 59%, which is pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Um, it just shows the power of that. I mean, it does show the power of the of that network and it's not I think it's Fox and all of the and mm-hmm. everything that comes off of Fox the radio you know the the conservative radio yeah. how they are able you know what goes on on Facebook and Twitter um and it, so, it was great it was a really fantastic research I encourage everyone to take a look at it and, and so one of the things that I am really excited about is the work that we're doing with uh groups in North Dakota Oklahoma Texas uh, you know, really red places um, where there is a commitment on the part of, in some cases, the small and weary band of Democrats who are in those states to really spend a lot of time listening. Like what, and, and you can do that with our technology over time and then start peeling away what are those feelings people have what are those issues that are going to move some of um, these voters to our side we just completed a a massive uh, 4,000 person survey of Mm -hmm. rural America and one of the things that was insightful was you know here's here's a group that Trump may lose which is white non-educated or uh, pardon me, white, um, not college educated uh, women. Um, he may lose he, he them. Won, he won them. Right. But they're shifting away a little bit mm-hmm. in the rural areas. That could prove to be incredibly important, particularly in the Senate. And do you see that happening in battleground areas or do you see that happening across the country we're, or both? Yeah. I mean, I think we're, we're, we're seeing that happening across the country. But particularly in some of these rural areas, mm-hmm. um, you know, where you have a, a non-college educated uh, female um, who, you know, is uncomfortable, yeah, uh, potentially with some of these stances that, um, you know, you're seeing uh, Democratic women, uh, you know, recoil from all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So, 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 what are those commonalities? And then, how is it that we can start? We can build on that, right? Yeah. And when you make a commitment to applying a data science approach to research and do polling rather than, you know, three times cycle, if you do it every month, then you have a giant number of completed surveys. You have much deeper and richer insight that you can use, that you can start using earlier, right? Then your persuasion can be based not only on um, these sort of spot insights, but on a much, you know, in a much richer level. 
And we're committed to creating technologies that allow us to do that um, so that we're, uh, you know, listening to that sentiment and to that emotion, but then also um, quantifying it at scale. So if our listeners are interested in learning more about the research and the polling that you're doing, where can they go? They can go to changeresearch.com. Easy enough. Yeah, you can see all of our polls. Fantastic. Uh, Pat, this has been fantastic um you're always welcome here come back if you especially in, especially if you have like a poll you want to break we're all you know, uh, we're be delighted yeah, to break a poll on here uh you, you your twitter handle is uh change what what's your twitter change handle? polls change polls okay and yeah um, we'd love to have you back on to talk about um you know the iowa caucuses and the first sure. four states and yeah. even if you just call in yeah be, be delighted to all right thank, thank you, so you. Much, Pat. thank you we so much it. For my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, I'm Doug Thornell. This has been The Electables, and we'll catch you next time.